For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to welcome everybody back to season two officially. Getting started today, our first episode of season two launching with a very special guest, Carson Palmer. Welcome to the show, Turbo Talk. How's it going? How's it going? How's everything been going? Obviously, 2020 has been a crazy year, but how are you? How are you? How are the, how's the family? I'm doing good, man. Hi, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a wild it's been a wild time um, for all of us. And and uh, you know, I, I've got to say though, my my kids are healthy. My wife's healthy. Um, people around me are healthy. I haven't been that affected by COVID. I have a couple buddies that have gotten it, um, but thankfully nobody's died. So it's just, it, it's a weird time, obviously, for all of us right now, trying to figure out what to read, what to believe, what's true, what's not. Um, you know, I'm just thankful that, that my family stayed healthy through all this. Well, Bridget and I were really thank you, thankful, uh, you know, for you taking the time out. And I want to introduce uh, you to my co-host, Bridget Case. Uh, welcome back. It's good to be back with you, teaming up again. How are you? How how you how you feeling? I mean, I I'm good. Just just over here trying to stay alive, you know. Yeah, stay out the way. Right. Yeah, you know, Carson. It 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 it's really it's crazy how the conversation is different now. You know, early on when this pandemic first started, uh, there's there were so many question marks, and and obviously there's there still is, but it's like now it's like, you know, after it's been so much time, it's like. You know, you, you know someone who's gotten it, you know, now as before it was like, I don't know anybody. I remember having conversations, being on the shows like, listen, I don't know how serious this thing is. I don't know anybody who's gotten it. Now it's like, man, I know three or four or five different people who've gotten it, who've thankfully uh, been able to beat it um, and, and, and they're healthy now. Uh, but, uh, but I'm sure, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, it's trying times. Kids are in the house doing school. I'm sure that's been an adjustment for you guys. Um, how has that adjustment been, you know, for you and the family? It's tough. I'm not going to lie, especially when, when I'm having internet problems and one kid can't log on to a Zoom call, one kid's on a Google Meet and their internet's cutting in and out. Um, you know, I think, I feel like everybody's going through that. But as far as COVID, I mean, I just, I don't know what to, to believe. I, I, like you said, I didn't know anybody that had it. And then over the last probably four or five months, I've just talked to some buddies that were like, yeah, I got tested. Turns out, turns out I had it. I had a headache for a day and that was it. Um, so it's just, you know, it's, it's so odd and wild. And like I said, you just, you don't know where to look and where to research and where to learn um, 
about this virus just because some of the stuff is political. Some of the stuff um, is made up. Some of the stuff is true. You just you don't really know where to look and, and who to trust in this time. Um, but as far as just, you know, kids are at the house, they're, you know, school's going on at home. Um, I've never had more respect for teachers. And my mother-in-law was a, a, a lifelong teacher. Um, but just myself with, with, um, helping my four kids, um, through a typical school day, you just have, your heart goes out to these teachers because these teachers are teaching these kids online. They've got their own kids at home, their own lives. They're also, you know, trying to keep up with, um, then we've got some teachers in school that, that are a little bit older, maybe have, um, you know, some issues with their immune system. So they're living in fear every day, going to work. It's just, um, you know, it takes a special person and a special heart. So I want to give a shout out to all the teachers out there. You truly have all of my respect and all of my love because you guys do an amazing job. Well, I'm sure they appreciate that. All the listeners who are teaching or who know some teachers, I'm sure are very appreciative of that. You know, I want to talk about this just a little bit from a, you know, from a sports standpoint, obviously, um, you know, NFL quarterback, uh, USC, you know, Heisman winner, um, you know, were you concerned about sports, you know, in general, particularly the football season? Obviously, we saw the NBA, uh, you know, do the bubble. The MLB was able to have their season. Was it concerning for you to start with? Did you, did you think that we were going to be able to have sports this year? I thought, I thought the football season would get shut down at some point, and it, it still might. I mean, we, who knows? All, all, from what I'm reading and seeing right now is the numbers are going up. Um, I just, uh, was, was talking to a a Philly radio station this morning and now the Eagles are no longer letting any fans into their game. So you're kind of, and I I feel like it kind of starts on the East coast as it's getting a little bit colder this time of year and works its way, but, you know, heading into the winter, um, you know, I, I, I can see more stadiums being completely shut down and just having the players and coaches on the field. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, you, you know, once you get away from the game and you have some time to kind of get away, like you can't wait for Sundays. You can't wait to watch. I know you probably can't wait to watch the Seahawks and, and buddies. You got on other oh, yeah. teams. I can't wait watching buddies, uh, watching buddies play and watching my Cardinals play. So with, with all the chaos going around, um, I just hope we can still have Sundays and, and Saturdays too, to watch college football. Cause it gives you something. Uh, it's kind of like that little can- that little carrot dangling out in front of you to get you through the week. You should get to watch football on Saturdays and Sundays. And it felt like Pac-12 football took forever to get going. I'm glad they are, though. I mean, yeah. I, I, I know a couple games got canceled this past Saturday. Um, you know, and, and I, I like I love the game and love watching the games, but also the politics. I'm now seeing coaches starting to call out other programs because they're having a down year and mm-hmm. saying they're blaming <laughs> it on COVID yeah. to get out of, you know, affecting yeah, right. their overall and, and career win loss records. So it's just, <laughs> it's, it's crazy and it's wild, but um, we all love watching football on the weekends and, and I hope we still have another couple of months of it. You know, I haven't been able to really talk to anybody specifically I mean, you know, obviously I've checked in with my guys uh, that are that are out there on the field, uh, but we haven't talked specifically about how they're feeling about the no the no fans being in the stands or the limited amount of fans being in the stands. Have you spoke to any current players who are playing right now about that? And if so, 
you know, what are the responses that you're getting? How are they feeling about uh, the excitement of the game out there? Well, first, first off, they all miss the fans. I mean, the fans, as you know, um, there's nothing like it, especially at, at your stadium in Seattle. There's nothing like a Sunday home game in Seattle. There's nothing like, um, you know, a, a Sunday home game inside the toaster in, Ari- in Arizona, yeah. uh, the giant toaster that we called it. But <laughs> I uh, never knew that. The buddy, I know, but they've totally you know, I never knew. Totally yeah, I never knew. <laughs> I never knew it was called the toaster. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a giant toaster. Um, So they they absolutely missed it. Um, But from everybody I talked to, the first couple weeks was really eerie and it was really odd and it was really uncomfortable and it was really hard to focus, you know, and and that sounds crazy thinking about how hard it is to focus when there's 80,000 people screaming. And then it goes the first couple games where these guys were playing in front of nobody and there was nobody in the stands. They all said, everybody I talked to said it was really eerie. And then you got to like week four, five, six, and it's just, it's football again. And, and it's the new norm. And they've all adjusted. And, and I think most of them actually really like playing on the road, at least the quarterbacks that I've talked to, because you can actually communicate and hear yourself think when, when the home defense is on the field and, and you're out there as an offense. So I think everybody's just kind of at that point now. They're all pros. They're getting paid. This is the job. This is how you have to perform, and this is the environment you have to perform in, and and they're going about their business. So knowing how you feed off outside energy as a quarterback, how do you think you would be handling this no-fan eeriness atmosphere? Man, I I would love to go on the road and be able to have a conversation like this because it's so easy to go up to the line of scrimmage and you got five guys in front of you and they can all hear you and you can change yes. the protection from 76 to 65 or two jet to three jet, wh- whatever that is. It's so difficult to communicate. And there's, there's so many, every game I played on the road, there were times where I'd look up at the clock and there's like eight seconds on the clock. And I know that the perfect play we need to get into, but I know I can't relay the message. Yeah to all other 10 guys around me because it's so loud within those eight seconds. Now you can get, you can wait down the, the clock gets down to four or five seconds and totally change to play. And everybody can be on the same page mm-hmm. and then go out and execute the play. So being a quarterback, um, I, I would love it. There is yeah. no, there is no disadvantage going on the road right now as a quarterback. Well, and it's made the mic'd up segments so much more fun because you can hear so much more. Like I have enjoyed listening to players mic'd up this year more now than ever because you can hear all the back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you, know, you catch some like some yeah. side action there. Yeah, you don't want to be watching a game with with your your eleven year old son and and hear some of the stuff that that you and I heard, Rob. But <laughs> I almost wish they would put the commentators on mute and not even say anything and just put a big microphone right down there in the middle yes. of the field and let us hear everything. I mean, oh man. I love that. Oh, I love that idea. Yeah. You know, I was, I was, I was thinking, you know, it's like, if you do that, you'll get teams and say, you know what, forget watching film on Mondays in our meeting rooms. Let's watch the live game and see what kind of calls we can yeah. catch from the other teams. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that'll give us an advantage going forward a little bit, especially off the well, that's what I was wondering. It was, you know, about sign stealing and all, all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, because I heard even just with college football, Dabo Sweeney was talking about it. And he's like, listen, like anything that you can do to help us win, it's not cheating. Do you feel like there's a little bit of that going on between teams? I, I think so. I think the biggest thing 
um, that teams are doing, I know defensive linemen have been doing it for years, is they watch the game copies because they're trying to hear the snap count. And then they'll record the snap count and they'll play it in their meeting rooms and through like a Bluetooth speaker where you just, throughout the week as a defensive lineman, you get so used to hearing Aaron Rodgers' cadence or Drew Brees' cadence over and over. As these defensive linemen, you know, they're, they're, they're at a massive disadvantage. They used to use that to their advantage, especially there in Seattle. I can remember all the, all the years with Cliff Averill and um, Bennett and all those guys getting off on the ball because it was so loud. Well, now they're at a disadvantage because they don't have the crowd noise. So do you think overall offense in, in this particular situation when there's no fans or limited fans offensively, offenses have the advantage over the defense or do you feel like it's vice versa? No, I, I think the offense losing offense going into let's let's say Century Link Field in Seattle, you're gonna have at least two false starts strictly because somebody could not hear the quarterback. Maybe three, maybe four. But it'll be interesting to to look at the data, get to the end of the year and see how many less yeah. offsides there were, how many more yards the offense gained on the road in twenty twenty compared to twenty nineteen. I think when we go back and look at 2020, the offensive numbers are really going to go up in his offensive games. They could hear, they could talk, they could check out of a bad play and get into the right play against the right defense. So I think, I think it'll be an interesting year to go back and study 2020 versus every other year. Staying on this topic with the coronavirus, the NFL, playoffs are coming up. We're just a little bit over half of the season now. Playoffs are approaching. Uh, there's been some rumbling, some rumors, some rumors here and there about, hey, perhaps for the playoffs only, the NFL should do an AFC bubble, an NFC bubble. You know, these 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 playoff teams should be at two separate sites. They should play their playoff games uh, under one roof, uh, and 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 then you know, obviously go to the Super Bowl. What's your opinion on that? Do you feel the NFL is that something the NFL should should consider, or they should they just continue to do? what it is that they're doing now? Well, I think if whatever is safest, and, and I don't really fear for the players, we're talking about some of the best and the best physical specimens on the planet. But I just think back to some of the coaches. Man, you know what I mean? Just think about all the overweight, out-of-shape coaches you played for. I, you know, I can't think of many coaches um, – that are young, you know, other than a handful of guys and in great shape. Most of, most of these coaches are in their 50s, 60s, and they just coach. And um, I just worry about their exposure, all the trainers, um, you know, all the people working in the stadiums. I think that is my biggest fear. It's not so much the players. But when you talk about putting, you know, all of the AFC and all of the NFC in one building, that's just a lot of people. Every yeah. team's got 50-something players, 20-something coaches, 10-something trainers, 10 guys that work in the equipment. I mean, you just think about all the people that it takes to run a football team. Um, logistically, I just don't know if that works or how that works and how that looks. Um, but again, I mean, it's, it's, it's not these players. These players don't seem to have issues. It's, it's a mild flu for these players that have gotten it. But these coaches that um, – with, with, with broken down immune systems and, and these coaches that are up there in age, those are the ones that, that I worry about the most. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Rob and I bring COVID like really, you know, cracked down and the NBA was canceled. The NCAA tournament was canceled. Rob and I were in the middle of recording an episode together in person. 
And it's so funny because you, we, our reactions were on camera and our faces just drop. Like hearing all of a sudden all of these guys who are who are getting, um, you know, diagnosed and then we're with somebody who, you know, he worked for the Saints and then all of a sudden Sean Payton gets diagnosed. It was just so surreal because I think initially we forget that sports is that there are bigger things in life than sports. And then all of a sudden things are taken away. I I just want to know kind of like where you were at when when that happened for you, because Rob and I, our reactions were hilarious and kind of your initial thoughts. I mean, it was I just couldn't believe it. I'm like and and we were we're sitting here like. Yeah, kind of when this first, all this first started, you know, going down. Yeah, I was actually, um, I was in California. I had just sold a house and I was, I was uh, trying to hire a moving company and nobody, nobody could move my furniture. So I had like three days before I had to get out of the house and I had a rental um, Ford Explorer and I had to move, my wife and I had to move all of using just a Ford Explorer. And wow. so, uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. <laughs> well, I'll never, I, I was calling yeah. all these moving companies. They're like, we don't, COVID-19, you know, we can't, you know, all, all those issues came up. And I was like, dude, I got like 72 hours to get. And this is California out. of all places. I mean, you know, geez. Yeah. Yeah, it was super strict. So, um, I, you know, I had all my TVs down off the walls. I, you know, trying to do that on my own. I'd never done that before. Um, so I didn't have, I didn't have TVs. I didn't have news coverage. I had taken on my, my routers. I had no Wi-Fi, So I would check updates on my phone to see what was going on, but I couldn't watch CNN and Fox and, you know, all news networks to really see what was going on. And plus I was in three days, you know, I was moving couches and beds and all kinds of stuff using a Ford Explorer, which is not fun. I don't recommend doing that. Uh-uh, uh-uh. That's crazy. I, Man, no, I can, oh my gosh. The little things we, we take advantage yeah, of. Yeah, no, I can only seriously. imagine. I mean, that's crazy. And, and the Ford Explorer is like, is it like a like a pickup truck or it's, it's one of those SUV type, right? No, I had the, I had the, the tailgate up and I was yeah. putting couches in right. and then tying the <laughs> yeah. back end of the couch onto right. the inside seat belts, hoping that the couch doesn't- Praying that it doesn't fall off on the freeway. On the 405 right now. Yeah, exactly. Seriously. Oh my God, that's hilarious. I, I've totally, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but in college, I was in between moving apartments and I went to practice because I couldn't get a mattress moved in time um, between like first practice and second practice. I went to practice with my mattress fully on, <sighs> on my car and was totally oh parked in the gosh. parking lot. This and is, everyone's is... people are taking pictures because everyone knows it's my car and thinks that's it's hilarious. A but that's, the a, things, that's a story. The things we do, it was, it was, it was pretty, it was <laughs> uh, pretty classic. Yeah. You know, Carson, I want to, I want to get your opinion on a couple of things. <laughs> Uh, you know, formerly of the Cincinnati Bengals uh, and the uh, Arizona Cardinals. Both teams now uh, have some really good young quarterbacks. Uh, Joe Burrow, uh, despite of their record, has been, you know, playing really well in the conversation for Rookie of the Year. And uh, Kyler, uh, obviously, in his second year, right? Hail Hail Murray. Murray. <laughs> he's in his He's in his second or third year now. Year second, two. Right? Year two, right? Yeah. Uh, playing well, he's got a he's got a couple really nice weapons. He's got DeAndre Hopkins, who I think uh, is the best receiver in the league. Who who has who I think has been the best receiver in the league over the last five, six, or seven years, uh, in my opinion. 
what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on, on, on Joe uh, and Kyler? Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, really, really good young quarterbacks. And he just he – hasn't, he hasn't looked like he struggled at all. They've struggled uh, from a team standpoint, but he's played really, really well. Joe Burrow has been such a pleasant surprise. I mean, I, I thought he was really good at LSU, and I thought he would be a really good pro. He's, I think he's one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league right now. When you're wow. talking about Aaron and, and Russell and all these guys, Patrick, I think he's in that group. Really? Um, he plays with so much poise. They're awful around, you know, he, they're not a good team. Yeah, that's um, true. And when you play on a bad team, it's really easy to, um, to not play well. So I, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, both those organizations are in a great spot with two really good young quarterbacks. And, you know, Arizona is, is in a totally different financial situation, salary cap-wise, than, than Cincinnati. I mean, you look at Cincinnati's ability this offseason, and they've got a bunch of money to spend, and, and they're just mm-hmm. not very good around Joe. But they've got a bunch of money to spend to, to get good around Joe and bring in some vet linemen maybe another playmaker on offense, maybe a pass rusher, whatever that combination is, salary cap-wise, they're in a really good spot. So maybe it's building better protection for Burrow on the O-line, or I want to know, who do you think Cincinnati should pick up in the draft this year? Well, they need linemen. I mean, they, they, need, um, they need help up front. Um, I really like Joe Mixon, the, the running back they have. They've got some stuff they got to figure out with AJ. Um, I believe this is his last year. They've drafted his replacement, uh, essentially, in T. Higgins. Um, Boyd is still a really good player. They need a tight end still. There's, there's a number of, of routes they can go. Um, and they might have – they might find themselves, you know, despite how good Joe has played, they might find themselves in the top three or four picks and be able to deal that, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth pick for a team that has to draft a quarterback and get more picks because they're, they're still a ways away. Um, and, and on defense, I mean, you look what they just traded Carlos Dunlap. He went to Seattle. He was really their only real threat pass rush wise. So, um, unfortunately for, for Joe, it's not draft a guy and sign two free agents. It's, we need to draft three or four guys and they all need to hit and we need to sign three or four guys in free agency and they need to be good signings. Absolutely. I am so impressed, honestly, though, with the Cardinals organization right now, because when they um, hired Cliff Kingsbury, I don't know, I, I didn't have that much faith, you know, because he didn't have the like best record in the world at Texas Tech. Um, and then, mm-hmm. of course, was at USC for like five minutes. Mm-hmm. I know that you know him personally. You've had some some early encounters at your senior bowl back in the day when he was kind of googly eyed mm-hmm. over you. Yeah. How's it been yeah. to see him have success now at Arizona yeah. building that program? Yeah, a lot of people thought he was undeserving of that of that position. You know, I, I you know I'm a, I'm a I'm kind of a fan yeah, of I mean, first take. They, you know, they mm-hmm. they were talking real bad about Cliff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Cliff a lot. Like like you said, Cliff and I were on the same team at the Senior Bowl back in 2002, maybe, a long time ago. Um, but he, he had a bunch of success offensively at Texas Tech and, and unfortunately um, was let go there. Um, but what I think is most impressive about what Arizona did is, is um, hiring Cliff and, and going out on a limb and not doing – you know, the sexy, popular hire. Yes. They realized they made a, a, a bad decision the year before. 
um, and, and fired the coach and paid him for three more years to not coach and brought in Cliff and paid him a four or five year contract. So what, what impresses me is, is the fact that Arizona's going for it. They're willing to do whatever it takes to win. If that means fire a coach in his first year and hire some young guy from Texas Tech that's never coached in, in, in the NFL and, and had very mild success in college. I mean, that is a – talk about, you know, putting your chasing a championship. And I saw it firsthand. And playing for a great organization um, – is half of it. I mean, uh, you, you got to have yeah. great players and players have to make plays, but R Rob, you know, playing for Seattle, when you get an opportunity to play for a, an organization that knows what they're doing and they're yeah. willing to do what it takes to win you as a player, see it and you feel yeah. it and you know, you better be on your a game or you're going to get replaced and you better be doing the right, right things on and off the field or they're going to find somebody else because they're willing to cut you and they're willing to, you know, cut a player who has guaranteed money on their contract because that's what's best for the organization. So right. Um, I, right. I'm just I'm just happy to see Arizona going all in and chasing a championship. Yeah, you know, I always I've always said winning starts from the top down. I mean, it, you know, it starts from ownership and it and it trickles down from there. If you have great ownership, you, you got a group of guys or a guy uh, or girl who, 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 you know, who can run their, their organization with respect and, and, and treat everybody a certain way. And then it kind of just trickles down from there. You're, you're likely going to be a successful organization. And you think about the ones that have been consistent throughout all of these years, like, like the Steelers, you know, I mean, they just, it's just, they're so successful. They can go eight and eight with, with somebody who we don't even know playing quarterback because of the way they go about their business uh, each and every day. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, certainly a huge deal there. You know, I agree with you about Arizona. They wouldn't got DeAndre Hopkins and, and uh, they got, the, you know, Kenyon Drake, you know, to, to, to put somebody in the backfield to help out. So, and now they're sitting in first place tied in the NFC West, which is a really tough division, as you know. Uh, so, you know, it's good to see, you know, them making the right moves, uh, you know, to make, to, to win a championship. If anybody deserves it, it'd be, it'd be Larry Fitzgerald. I know oh, he was, yeah somebody that you played with, uh, uh, you know, how, you know, how was he as a teammate? Awesome, man. Awesome. Uh, great, great player, obviously. I mean, every, it, you just turn the film on and you could see it, but his teammates and his coaches uh, realize the true impact he has on the team because he is there working every single day. Year 15, 16, so I don't even know what year he's in anymore. Um, but he still is a grind, a grinder. He takes a day off now. He finally um, was forced to have a veterans' day off during the week. I think he misses <laughs> Wednesday's practice. There which, when I was playing with him, he wouldn't. He wouldn't take that really? day, and I would take it. Oh, Rob, you're like, the Fitz. same way. No, I I never took that day. That's I, that's I, what I'm. I, I couldn't. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You're wow. Well, because you know, I mean, you playing, you're used to it. Yeah, I was used to like you know, Marshawn and these guys, you know, taking their, it's, it's like a natural, it's like, I don't know, it's just like a natural thing that happens. Got to take care of the body. That vet day's key, man. That vet, I, I was telling Fitz when I was playing with him, I'm like, you are tripping. You need to take this vet day. I'm yeah. taking, I'm not practicing Wednesday. You should not practice Wednesday. This will add years onto your career. Yeah. But he just – and he was the first to say, he's like, man, if I don't practice, somebody else can have a great practice. They're going to take my spot. He just always – Yeah. I think that's one of the things that makes him so great is he has carried that chip on his shoulder 
even though he was the, I believe, third pick in the draft in 05. I mean, he's always felt like he has to perform. He has to practice. He has to work just because that it's just been ingrained in him. And that's one of the things that's fueled uh, his success over all these years. Mm-hmm. You know, go ahead, Bridge. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think a lot of guys uh, that have entered the league in the last couple of years kind of grew up um, really idolizing him. And then even when you were still playing, and I think it's so cool when all of a sudden these guys yeah. get into the leagues and they get to play with their heroes. Did you ever have a situation like that where you were a little bit um, starstruck? Like I loved when um, Tom Brady and Justin Herbert were going up and, and you know, shaking hands because I was like, that's like, I mean, he could be his dad. And it's just the coolest thing. Did you ever ever have any moments like that? I had a moment. I was playing um, in a Pro Bowl, and it was the year LaDainian Tomlinson won the MVP. Mm -hmm. And um, I'll never forget it. I All week in practice, the Pro Bowl practice is very mellow. I mean, I don't know if I sweat, (laughs) if I had any sweat at all in any practice. And so you kind of go through the practice and – you're playing obviously against the best players. And this is back then, like if you, if you got invited to the Pro Bowl, you went to it. So it was the best players. There wasn't a bunch of alternates playing. And so we finally got to game day and I was, I was in with Ladanian and I, I handed off a draw to him. So like the quarterback drops back, you hand the ball to the running back and you kind of stand in the pocket like you still have the ball. And I watched him and I was in awe. I, I, he was playing at a completely different speed than everybody else on the field. And he had kind of, he had just won the MVP that year. Is that year he went bananas. I don't know how many catches and and how many, how many rushing yards he had, but he broke a bunch of records. I think it was the year he broke the touchdown record. The touchdown record. Exactly. From then on, I did not bootleg the rest of the game. I just, I, I would turn around, I'd hand the ball and I just wanted to watch. I didn't want to run my bootleg and miss what he was doing, but it was like everybody was playing in slow motion and he was playing in real time. He was so much quicker. And so he, he had made a comment that he didn't want to get hit because he was still hurt from the, the previous year. So he made sure he did not get hit. He had, everybody was trying to crush him and he just was so much quicker and moving at such a different pace than everybody else in the field. That's the only time I've ever witnessed that or ever felt like that in all the years. Um, it was that one game and I'll never forget just, I was a spectator. I couldn't get the ball out of my hands fast enough and hand it to him because I wanted to watch him. Mm -hmm. LT was such a special player. I mean, there's so, there's not very many, um, who have played like him. And I was at the game when he was inducted into the Chargers ring of honor. Um, and it was so special to see somebody like that. Who's also just such a good person off the field, you know, get that honor and have these awards, but. I'm always bummed for guys like that who don't get to go win a Super Bowl. What is that feeling like for these guys who are clear Hall of Famers, um, but they don't get that ring? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, um, LT does not have a ring, but he had his chances. I mean, those those um, those years. No, the Chargers were good. The, yeah, those early 2000s. Six, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that. They they had they had their opportunities. I mean, they had some really good teams. They just unfortunately wouldn't pay anybody. I mean, they let Vincent Jackson go. Yes. They, you name it, they let him go. Darren Sproles, you so can go cheap. on and on oh down my the gosh. list. They wouldn't pay anybody. But but um, 
they had some runs and LT had some injuries at some really unfortunate times. I mean, that AFC championship game, I think he had like two or three touches and was standing on the sideline all game with the knee issue. Um, you know, of, of all the guys that I think of talent wise that didn't get a ring, the guy that stands out in my mind more than anybody is Matthew Stafford. I think Matthew, Matthew Stafford is really, really good at playing quarterback. Wow. But he plays, he probably won't get a Super Bowl. He'll, he'll move on. He'll break tons of records. He'll be top five all time. The wrong organization. And I, th- I think you're right. You might be able to say that about LT, but then you look back at those teams. I mean, those were some really, those were some 13 and three teams, some 12 and four teams. Those are some good football teams. And he got injured, unfortunately, um, you know, in the playoffs and wasn't at full speed in the playoffs. And he was also a little bit older at that point too. He's 28, 29. He wasn't 22, 23, 24 LT. Um, but Unfortunately, some guys just don't play for the right organization, and it's unfortunate, and it's part of the deal. You don't get to pick where, you, where you're going to play in the NFL like you do in college. Right, right. Well, speaking of the Pro Bowl and, and, and great teammates, I heard a story actually about you. Uh, this Uh-oh. was, uh, yeah, this was uh, your first, I believe, Pro Bowl, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, rumor has it that you paid for all of the quarterbacks and their wives uh, to be able to, to attend the super, or excuse me, the pro bowl with you uh, in Hawaii. Is that a, is that a, is that a true story? Fact or myth? Yeah. I, no, that's a fact. I, um, I always made sure I took really good care of my offensive linemen. Like I always bought them an awesome Christmas gift. Um, I, I never let them pay for food or drinks. And I made a deal at the beginning of the year with, with the quarterback room. Like if, if we go to the pro bowl this year, we're all going and your girlfriends are, and your wives are going too. Um, and so, yeah, we, I, I would always make sure I took good care because those quarterbacks helped me out. But all the guys I helped, I played with, I was so fortunate. I had a ton of great backups everywhere I was and they were great. They were awesome. Um, you know, helping me study, helping me, game plan, whatever it was during the week. If I asked them to go and do something, I always had a young quarterback that um, I made, I made sure my locker had certain things in it and he took good care of me and got us lunch and got us breakfast on Saturdays going to the plane. Um, But yeah, I, uh, I don't know where I got that tip from a a former quarterback told me, make sure Mm. you take care of your offensive line. So I always made sure my offensive lineman had the best gifts in the league and never paid for food or drinks. So speaking of your quarterbacks uh, in the Cardinals organization, I've seen some past pictures of you losing a bet and being in a hula skirt and coconuts. Uh, How did that stuff all happen? (laughs) Um, So in 2003, I got drafted to Cincinnati, and John Kitna was the quarterback um, before me there. And he was super competitive, and I've always been super competitive. And we would find ways to bet on anything. We had a pool table. We would play pool. We would play ping pong. We would go out and throw uh, throw footballs into trash cans. We would go out and, and do contests where we're trying to hit the crossbar, crossbar of the field goal post from like the 30 or 40-yard line. And so it started there. We always had a bet. There was a, we were always betting something. And then as, as my career – moved moved along um 
I had the equipment my guys make this really cool trash can that was like up on a pedestal and you could angle the trash can and throw different touch balls into this trash can. So you could turn the trash can and throw darts into it. You could turn the trash can this way and throw touch balls into it. And so it started as like, kind of like a friendly deal. Um, like whoever wins, you know, uh, the other guy has to buy dinner tonight, whatever that situation was. And then we like, we started getting out of control with it. Like loser has to, there was a, a pond across from the facility. Loser has to jump in the pond and swim across or whatever it was. It was just stupid stuff. And then it became, well, the loser has to wear this on the plane to the road game or the oh loser boy. has to go oh out gosh. pregame on game day in the field and wear this outfit and do some calisthenics or do mm-hmm. some jumping jacks. So it's just kind of like, it turned into what it turned into was how can I win this thing and make the other guy look like as big of an idiot as possible? And we did good at that. How did we the did coaches? Good. I mean, how did like the, yeah. the, the the coaches feel about this? I mean, like it's one thing to like dress up funny at practice or or getting on the plane, but you know during warmups on NFL Sunday. So we, uh, I won, I won one bet one time and. One of the other quarterbacks, Drew Stanton, who just recently retired this past year, lost. And I bought for the road, road game to uh, – we were flying to London to play the Rams in London. Uh-huh. I don't know, 14-hour flight, whatever it was. And so that was a big one. You didn't want to lose that one because we would – the loser would have to wear these outfits on the plane. But I found this – I spent like $500 on this. It was a stewardess outfit like the little hat the little scarf the gloves the little dress like a pan am type little jacket with like the pan am with like the little like the little pin you Mm -hmm. put in it the little purse and so drew lost and had to dress up like a stewardess to london that's amazing and so we were there for a week and we had another competition because we were practicing in london that week before the game on sunday and so we had another competition and the loser of this next one had to wear a Wonder Woman, a full Wonder Woman costume, <laughs> like a Halloween costume. And so we get to game day, Drew lost again. And I went running out. And right when I go running out, I see Michael Bidwell, the owner of the Cardinals, Bruce Arians, the head coach, mm-hmm. and Steve Kime, the general manager, all out on the field. Like, they're never out there at this time. We know this is normally right. when we do our thing because we know they're not out there. Right. And so, Drew, I run out. And I'm like, screw it. Let's just go. And I didn't tell Drew that these three guys, the three guys that really run the organization are right out there. And Drew comes oh, running out in a man. Wonder Woman, full cape, the skirt, the tights, the whole deal. Oh, man. And he goes out. <laughs> he, he does a lap around the field. He does 20 or 30 yards of calisthenics and push-ups and all kinds of stuff and runs back in the locker room. And I am running back in the locker room like 20 yards behind him. And Michael Bidwell and Bruce both walk right up to me. And I'm just kind of waiting to, to hear it. And Michael looks at me and goes, man, that's the best costume yet. Good job. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I thought for sure I was going to get in trouble. And they were all cool with it. So from then on, it was, you know, we, we got real out of control after that. And that's when you saw the coconut shells yeah. and the hula skirts and all that. Oh, I love that. Hey, hey you, you, you know, you give us. You know, you give us a little bit, we'll take a lot, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> they could have shut it down real easy. They didn't. Right. So we kept it rolling. That's funny. Um, I wanted to ask about this. You know, we're, we, were, we were talking about some stuff regarding the playoffs, the bubble. Uh, 
they added a team to each conference this year. They're going to go seven teams in the playoff. And I think they just agreed on something, Bridge. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. I think they're going to even do eight teams for per next, conference for next, next year, year depending on the status with COVID, right? Is that correct? Um, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about adding teams to the playoffs? Obviously, from a, from a revenue standpoint, from a business standpoint, it's beneficial to the NFL. But just from a football standpoint in particular, what's your opinion on that? I, I just don't like changing what we got going. Um, it's a great system. It's been working really, really well for as long as we can think of. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're judged off of playoff appearances and playoff wins, Super Bowls. And so it's definitely giving more people access to add those to their resumes. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I think I think it's a wash because it just gives two more teams the opportunity to collect game check, which is big. Um, those are fantastic for 53 guys on every team. Um, so it gives it gives guys another opportunity. But those checks that those individual players get for that one extra game um, is nothing compared to what the owners are making on that one game. So I think it's kind of a great wash. Point. I mean, it's, it's a great opportunity for guys to make, to make one more game and collect one more check. Um, but that's where the, the NFL makes their money is they make their money on the playoffs because they're not paying the players what they would in the regular season. They're paying them, um, much, much less. So it's obviously a big revenue pickup for the owners. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm indifferent on it, I guess. I mean, that's a terrible answer. I, I bounced around all over no, the place on it, but it's good because guys get more access and more opportunity. Um, but there's one reason that those owners are adding that and they're adding it because Perfect. they're making a bunch of money on that game. Yeah. You know, I, I, I personally, I agree with you, Carson. I mean, listen, I, you know, when I first heard about it, I was like, man, you're going to give another team an opportunity to make the playoffs, add that to their resume when they may not really be deserving, you know, of that? Are we going to be allowing now teams that are, you know, I mean, you get in, you, you're 8-8 eight and eight and you're 50%, you know, you're 500, that's cool, you know what I mean? But are, are we going to get into this, into this, you know, into this phase like the Eastern Conference of the NBA where teams are constantly making the playoffs at 38-42, and 42. You know, we're going to constantly be having these seven and nine, you know, teams that it's looking like that in the NFC East. I was just going to say, uh, a losing sure. team is definitely but, going to the playoffs. But are we, you know, are we going to, are we going to all of a sudden just allow consistently now, you know, bad teams, I guess, you know, non, really non-qualified playoff teams to be in the playoffs every year. I didn't agree with it. I, you know, I, I was like, you know, it's great for the players. I mean, like, if I'm in that situation as a player, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, man, we got that seventh spot. Woo, extra check. Obviously, there's a lot of positives to it. Uh, but at the same time, you want it to be hard. This is football. You want it to be hard to be able to get into that spot. I don't want to watch a 7-9 and nine team or a 6-10 and 10 team play in the playoffs. Yeah. The, the playoffs, to me, that's what separates the NFL from everybody else is when you watch the NFL playoffs, you're watching the best of the best. When you watch the NBA playoffs, you're like, man, let's hurry up and get this five-game series over with. We know the Heat are going to crush. Even during the World right. Series this wanna, year. Right. Yeah. I, I don't want to watch that. I, 
with now that I'm a fan, I want to watch the best play against the best when it comes to January football and watching playoff football. You're going to dilute that a little bit. If you add if you add one more team in each conference to that playoff scenario, you're diluting um, you're diluting the product. And I, I I just I wish now that I think about it more, I wish they wouldn't do that. I, I know it's a great opportunity for guys' resumes and, and for guys' checkbooks, but um, I, I think you're right. I think the playoffs in the NFL is the best of the best. It's what we've been waiting for all regular season long. And now we're adding another team and it's turning into like the baseball. What was the baseball thing they did? It was so many teams in. In, the, in the wild card round. It was overwhelming and exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't even keep yeah. up with it. Yeah. And the other thing, yeah. too, that I think about cars from a from a player standpoint is you add you add two two teams to each conference, maybe even another next year, which what then pushes back the Super Bowl game, which shortens an already short off season for players. I mean, it makes it even shorter. We got to come back in April, you know, for, for, for OTAs. I mean, uh, no time to, to, to really recover and recoup and, and, and train the body uh, for the following season. And, and we're talking about player health. I just don't really know how, how it coincides with one another. No, that, that's a great point. I mean, you look at what just happened in the NBA and what LeBron's been talking about. LeBron's like, I got to go back and start and play in December now. I just got out of the bubble. Yeah. Um, you're right. I mean, that, that offseason is crucial. That offseason is so important. I've had, through my 15 years, I had two offseasons where I needed more time. I, I was not able, by the time – OTA started, I was still recovering from an issue of the 16 games I had played the previous season. Sometimes, and, and, and that definitely is a bigger factor for the players that are 28, 29, 30 and up. Not so much for year two, year three, year four guys, because those guys can recover and your body at that age just naturally recovers better. But yeah, I mean, you're right. If you push the Super Bowl into the second or third week of February, because you've added games in the playoffs, you are shortening down that window and um, it, it'll be interesting to see how things pan out because um, the NFLPA is constantly fighting with the league about player safety, mm-hmm. about, you know, there's stuff that comes up is, is the turf good enough in, in the stadiums in Mexico? Is it safe enough for, for their heads to be landing on? Is the off season um, too long as it is right now? Is the off season too short Are workouts and, you know, all the different things that come up, the good news is the NFL players have the NFLPA fighting for them, and hopefully they get um, they get this resolved. Because man, that off is so nice. You know, I mean, it, it is so nice when you get to it. Oh, and it as is. I got older, it got shorter and shorter and shorter. And I more off season at thirty six and thirty seven than I did when I was twenty six and twenty seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I bet that first year of retirement was just a nice break. I'm assuming before it really set in. Oh man, I, I did like that, another reason that, that I wanted to retire is I, I love to hunt and fish and hunting season is the fall. Okay. And, um, so I had planned like, all right, when I retire, I am going to, I'm going to go on this hunt and I'm going to go on this fishing trip. And I experienced a bunch of, uh, a bunch of stuff that I wanted to experience, but I couldn't cause I was playing. Yeah. And I brought my son, uh, my oldest boy, with me on a couple of them. And, and um, I had a really, really good first year. 
And I must admit, I'm really good at retirement. I am. I am, <laughs> I am acing it. Like the far. MVP of retirement. No, I love that because some guys, I think, really struggle with figuring out, okay, what's what's next. Um, but I mean, I think that just goes with like personality type. I don't know. Were you able to walk away on your own volition? You're, you know, you're kind of. You said, you know, this is it for me. Hey, we like we like for you to come back another for another year, and, and you're just like, you know what? I'm good. Well, and you I'm and sorry. Bruce Arians walked away at the same time, right? We did, yeah, we did. He was he was retiring um, at that point for some health issues, and I I was kind of retiring for some health issues too. Um, but no, I was um, I knew it was it. You know, I, I, I could have played one more. I had, I still had a year left on my contract and, and, um, they would have, they would have had me back, but I, I went in and, and up to the offices and, and talked to the organization and just told them, man, it's been a dream to play for the Cardinals and I thank you for it, but it's, it's time to, to move on to what's next. So I, I did not have a big, um, issue with it. I did have an issue with what's next. It's taken me a while to figure that out. Um, but I wasn't in a rush. I wasn't in a hurry. And, uh, you know, I'm still, I, I still think I'm young. I'm, I'm 40 now. Um, and I hope I have a lot of life left in front of me, but it, it was time when I walked away, it was, it was time for me to go. 40 is the new 60 or no six. Oh my gosh. No. 60, 60 is the new 40. That's what I meant. Uh. I meant 60 is the new 40. You know what I'm saying. So <laughs> you got time. So you're basically like 20 right now. I feel, yeah, I feel like I'm 60, but, um, <laughs> but I would love to be 20 again. I'd love to do it all over again. I had a blast. But yeah, six sixties the new forty. I haven't heard that one yet. Yeah, Let's see whoops. if we can get some uh, some traction on that. Okay, speaking of your early twenties, I want to go back to that time where you played with Cliff Kingsbury in the uh, Senior Bowl, and I heard about a situation where there were some kegs set up or something, and guys were not wanting to go drink it, and you guys were kind of on the same page. I don't know. I want to know the story and how you guys connected there. Yeah, I think. Um... I think at the hotel, like in the meal room, there was some kegs or there were some beers out. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, I mean, I like to drink beer. I, I enjoy drinking beer. And back then, like you could have a beer on a Wednesday uh-huh. or two and not feel like you're going to pull a muscle on Sunday. When I got into my you know, 14th, 15th year, I couldn't have a beer after a game on Sunday without feeling dehydrated and feeling like I'm going to rip a hamstring in half on Thursday's practice. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Cliff and I had a couple beers and, um, talk shop back in the day, but I, you know, I just remember him. He was just a cool guy, just a mellow guy from Texas, um, had an amazing collegiate career, um, knew the offense before we even checked into the hotel. It seemed like there's some guys you play with that you're like, that guy's a coach. And there's some guys Uh, that you play with. You're like, that guy, that guy can't be a coach. That guy, that guy needs to go and find a new job or that guy, you know, you, there, right. there's some guys you can tell and, and Cliff right away, you can just, that guy's a coach. I don't know. He's wasting his time wow. playing football. He needs to go right into coaching. So you, you could see it from day one. Wow. And it's crazy because he had the same kind of respect for you as a player. I know just hearing um everything was like, he was like, Oh my gosh, like, I'm 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 here with Carson Palmer, like he- Heisman winner. You know, I think guys, it's it's just interesting. Like they always say, 
if you can't coach, you can play, you can play, you can't coach, whatever. I don't know. But um, I don't know. So I'm just analyzing that in my in my own head. Like he probably was so freaking excited to be around you. And that probably inspired him to um, go into coaching, to be around guys like you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what um, what his goals were uh, from a player standpoint. I, I think he's from a family of coaches, though. I okay. want to say I want to say his his old man was a coach or a high school coach can get fooled by that and um for or were around um some were players and some never even played high school football but the best coaches were great teachers and that's why it's so much better to be a teacher than it is a coach because a coach can go out there and blow his whistle and yell and scream and tell you to do push-ups and all that but a teacher can relay the message to me to robert to a rookie to a 20 you know an 18 year vet in a way that each one of us understands it and can absorb it and then knows it. And so they're, they're uh, great coaches are not a dime a dozen. Um, they are hard to find. It is hard. It, it's one thing to know the game and know your X's and O's and understand protections and understand how to beat a defense. But if you can't relay that message to the player and teach that to the player in a way that it hits the player's mind the right way, because we all learn things different. Some of us are visual learners. Some of us need to experience um, to learn. And so the greatest coaches and the greatest teachers, the ones that, that identify within a player how they need to be taught and how they need to learn a certain concept and then can relay that message in a way that it just hits their brain the right way. And it's a gift. It, it's just like being you know, a receiver that runs 4-3. That's a gift. It's just like being a quarterback that can throw the ball accurately all over the field. That is a gift. Mm -hmm. Being a great coach is a gift. So one of the best coaches I would say in the game you've played under, and so has Rob, Pete Carroll. I want to talk about him and the beginning of his era at USC. I want to know your experience and then Rob, go to you, what your experience was like playing for him in Seattle. Yeah, I loved him. Um, I mean, he was such a great motivator, really, really smart he uh, he just he always kind of had the right thing to say at the right time, but didn't didn't over talk. You know, some some coaches get up in front of the team room and they're excited that they're finally the head coach and they just they want to talk for like 20 minutes. And Pete always seemed to deliver the right message in the right amount of time, because we all football players were like we're like 12 year olds. Our minds all over the place and you lose us after that five or six minutes and our minds on to something else. Mm -hmm. And Pete always seemed um, just to have the right thing to say at the right time. He always motivated and he was always, he's always been really, really smart and really understood um, offensive schemes and personnel groups and was great at protections and breaking down protections. So he was really smart from the X's and O's side, but he was always a great motivator for me. He could always get me up, and fire me up and get me going and didn't lose me. Um, with just like verbal diarrhea, right. you know, there's so many coaches that they just, you just, you talked for 15 minutes and I picked up like 35 seconds of what you said, but Pete wasn't like that. Pete and, and Bruce Arians was the same way. He delivered his point. He delivered his message and it was on to the next thing. And I think great coaches find a way to do that. Rob. Yeah, no, I second that. I mean, he obviously is a great motivator. Everybody knows he's a high energy coach, uh, even, in, even in his older age. Uh, it, it, it's almost like he, he's been, he's the same age as he was at USC, but, uh, Hair's just a little know, grayer. Yeah. Just a little bit, but super intelligent, you know, like, I mean, X's and O's, I mean, 
it's like, wow, you know, he, he knows so much football. He's learned from so many other great coaches and he's been able to incorporate that um, in, in his coaching. And, um, uh, you know, I, I'd love to play for him. Mm-hmm. You know, I still want to play for him. And so, uh, yeah, certainly, certainly a great coach. Well, and you um, love hearing have. that because so many guys these days are outspoken about issues within the organization or issues with a coach. Um, and then you see him get fired or, or whatever it may be. So it's almost like that's becoming more rare. I don't know, just as an outsider perspective. Well, I, you know, it, it's very rare to hear anything negative about Coach Coach Carroll. Right. You know, that that's for sure. You know, I, I, I haven't heard too many people say any, anything bad about Coach Carroll. Uh, he's, you know, like like Carson said, man, he, he always knows what to say. And uh, he's quick and to the point. He's huge on having, like, guest speakers come. And, and, and speak to your team, these guys who are just really dynamic and dynamic and have incredible stories. Mm-hmm. And, and you sit there and it's like, wow, you know, this, this is a spectacular person with, with, with such an incredible story that, that, that a, lot, a lot of us can relate to uh, in so many different ways. And it's just another way that, that he uh, found to inspire his players. Uh, and so certainly a great coach to, to play for. I wasn't sure, Carson, if you had if he coached you or not, if 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 you were maybe a little bit before his time or not. So, uh, so that so that so that's good to know. Uh, yeah. Obviously, led you and and helped you get to a to a Heisman um, award. How was that? How was that experience? Uh, yeah, he was he was the head coach uh, my junior and senior year. Okay. Um, and. And you know another another thing on Pete too is is he his ego never got in the way. Um, you're talking about guest speakers and having different people always coming in and talking to the team, and you know so many head coaches just love that platform. Mm-hmm. And well, all they need to hear from is me. It's just I, I've got enough to motivate everybody, and that you know I'm the head coach. They they shouldn't be hearing from other people. But Pete was always so open to bringing in. I mean, we we had you know, from uh, retired Navy SEALs wow. uh, to yeah. like Will Ferrell, yep. you know, you know, a comedian mm-hmm. slash actor slash Hollywood movie star. I mean, but you always got something from it. And, yes, you, did. you know, this Navy SEAL can come in and talk about this much stuff, but you got something from it and it was really good. And it was something you can use and something you can implement. Will Ferrell came in and talked about all this crazy stuff, but there was one little thing he talked. So he always... Um, it was very diverse in, in who he would bring and what backgrounds they would come in and, and, and talk to the team about. Um, but Pete removed himself and, and his ego didn't get in the way. He had the mindset that my players need to learn from me. They need to learn from my coaches. They need to learn from outsiders. Mm -hmm. And, um, he, he, he was just awesome. Um, and yeah, he was, so he was the head coach, uh, my last two years and my senior year, uh, we won the Heisman and, and, um, it was an awesome experience. I mean, that was my first time to go to New York. Yeah. I got to go to New New York for like three nights. They put us up at some nice hotel down in times square. And I was the full on tourist with the camera around my neck, <laughs> taking pictures of everything and That's awesome. run around New York city. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was a special year. Um, just a great, I mean, you only get to play on, a handful if you're lucky great teams mm-hmm. and um i played on some really good teams and i played on some really bad teams 
but that was one of the few great teams I played on where um, it wasn't chock full of NFL guys. There was a handful of guys that made it to the NFL and a whole bunch of guys that didn't, but just great leaders, great men, guys that today are firefighters and bankers and great fathers and great husbands and great friends and coaches. Um, and so I was just that my senior year was a really special um, team. It was a really great group of guys that have been through. Some, we've been through coaches that got fired, mm-hmm. some really bad teams. And we, we, we came together and, and had one great season together. Where's your, um, go ahead, Bridge. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I heard your Heisman's not with you. Is that still true? Yeah. I've, yeah. It's actually in, um, wherever Dan Patrick's studio is probably in New York. Okay. Um, I forgot about that. Uh, I lived that to him pre COVID yes. and he hasn't reached out to I me. I was about wondering that how long was like, was that alone? <laughs> you know, I, how did that happen? <laughs> Good question. Uh, uh, <laughs> he, he put me on the spot. I was on the show talking about football and he put me on the spot and I was like, I think at the time it was in a storage unit in Idaho. And, um, I don't have a bunch of football stuff. In my, I don't have any football stuff in my office. Um, but yeah, I forgot about that. Thanks for, I need to reach out to Dan and see what's up with that. Glad I could that was remind COVID and COVID happened. And I just think that's I hilarious. Know. I just think it's awesome because, um, you know, it doesn't matter either way, like what you like, but there are some guys that get on all these zoom calls and you know, they've got all of their accolades and, and trophies behind them. And I thought it was hilarious that that yours is with somebody else. <laughs> yeah, I hope he still has it. I mean, who knows what was sold it? You know, I need to reach out to him and see what's up with that. He was supposed to send that back. Question though, <laughs> being a fellow Trojan, do you think that Reggie Bush should get his Heisman back? Yes, absolutely. I agree. Me too. I've played with so many guys that I'm not going to say any teams that that did that received a lot more than Reggie received. Mm-hmm. I play with a lot of guys that have some crazy stories about a conference that's in the southern eastern part of this country that that wonder where that's at. that made a lot of money in college and yeah. drove really nice cars and had really nice condos downtown. So um I, I just think, you know, being, uh, Reggie being in L.A., you got UCLA right there. Mm-hmm. You got a ton of Oregon Ducks in the area. You got, you know, Washington Huskies in the area. Um, I think there was a lot of eyes looking for something. And, yeah. they, and, and I, unfortunately, um, you know, they, he received some stuff. But I'm just saying, I play with a lot of guys that received a lot more that were like left tackles and defensive yeah. defensive tackles and – Aside from the quarterbacks and the running backs right. and the best, probably one of the best college football running backs that I've ever seen. Yeah. Ever, yeah. Um, so I, I, I think he should get his Heisman back for sure. I 100 percent agree. I think Me it's too. ridiculous. And especially because he has been so humble about it and such a good sport about it, because I think Absolutely. I believe he voluntarily gave it back initially. Right. I don't know. I just think. um I just think he worked his butt off for that yeah. award and he performed when he needed to perform and it's hard to do mm-hmm. and under the microscope and in that spotlight in LA and especially now if they're going to start paying guys now. Right. right. Um, exactly. Come on. 
Right. I mean, I lived in, and, and I know what it's like for Reggie. I, I lived back in a, too. Yeah. <laughs> I lived in a dump apartment that my stipend check that I got once a month barely a, barely paid our rent. And if you've not, you, you guys haven't been to the USC campus, it's not the safest area. So there's also that. It's not super. Oh, no, I lived I lived in the hood. I lived right with the rolling 20 and then the next street over. But they all yep. took care of us. I lived in a, in a house with a bunch of football players. And Matt Castle was my roommate. So I was split. I was splitting a room, barely able to afford rent, barely able to afford food. And food in LA is expensive. Everything yes. in LA is expensive. Everything. And we lived in the hood. We lived mm-hmm. in a bad spot. But the gang members that lived around us respected us. And they mm-hmm. watched out. Our house never got broken into. Our cars never got broken into. Our bikes never got stolen. Um, wow. So we lived in a bad area and barely got by on our rent checks. But they weren't going to touch you. You know, one no, of my favorite cool with us. one of my favorite college games of all time, and it's it, it's a classic, is is the USC Texas game yeah. with you know Reggie Bush and Vince Young. Uh, you know what from from the college level or the pro level, either one. You know what's what's one of your favorite all time games that you've been a part of? Ooh, um, one of my one of my favorite games for me personally was. Um, it was probably my second year in the league. We went to Baltimore. And back then, when I first got in the league in the early 2000s, it was Baltimore and Pittsburgh. And mm-hmm. those were the yeah. two best organizations. They were the two best every year. They were number one and number two in defense. Um, you had Ray Lewis. You had – I mean, you can go on and on about mm-hmm. all the players. They had Ed Reed and, and Starks and uh, McAllister and just all the guys they had on that defense. And – we were the Bengals and we were bad and, but we were starting to come around. Like we were starting to play better. I was a young quarterback making mistakes and we got to Baltimore. And um, by the way, one of my favorite places to play, it's such a cool stadium, such a cool environment. They have a band. It's like you're back in college. Great fans, great stadium downtown. And um, we were going back and forth with them all game. And they, they took a lead, and we ended up scoring, I think, 21 points in the fourth quarter to, to go on the road and beat Baltimore. And we put up big numbers on offense, and nobody had done that in, in a long time because that defense was just – that defense was really salty. And that was kind of like my welcome, like, mm-hmm. oh, I can do this. Yeah. Like, I can be down 21 points in the fourth quarter against the number one pass defense, run defense, and defense against total yardage, and throw – throw us into a, a win. So that was like one of my first, like, cause you never know. It doesn't matter where, if you're drafted first or you're drafted last, you're like, can I do it? Can I, mm-hmm. I think I can. And I, I believe in myself, but I need to do it to prove to myself. And so that was, that was probably my favorite game. Cause it ended with, um, zone and I threw a touchdown to Chad Johnson for the win. The stadium was so loud and so intense to completely quiet. We didn't have any fans there all Baltimore and it just went from so loud to boom, like instant silence. And the fans were shocked. The Baltimore, all right, I can do this. I can go into the best and play against the best and beat them. Like I, I that was probably my favorite and welcome the NFL moment. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about before you got to USC, there are so many quarterbacks that Orange County has produced sent to USC, you know, you, Mark Sanchez, um, Matt Leinard, uh, it's, it's insane. And then I feel like that lineage just kind of stopped. Um, 
what what are your thoughts on kind of like high school recruiting now and how the Pac-12 is recruiting and how these guys are faring in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, Sam Darnold isn't yeah. that old yet. No, like, but he's, he's, but he's injured. It sucks. Is, I know. He's from Orange County? He's really good. Yeah, he's from San Clemente. San Clemente. Yeah, no, he's he's amazing. Absolutely. But it's like you said, uh, yeah, you know, it's the organization a lot of exactly. times. Exactly. You know? Like, look at the <laughs> His situation. What is he supposed to do? It, it's it's a mess. I mean, they're 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 just not good. They they haven't. Um, the Jets have have messed up more than they've done well mm-hmm. on so many different deals throughout the years. And you know, this hiring Adam Gase, who now they're going to have to fire. And and I just don't trust them to hire the right guy the next time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Orange County. There's so much competition. Mm-hmm. There's so many great coaches. Um, you can play football. Those kids play football year round now. They're they're doing passing leagues during COVID. Totally. I mean, it yeah. doesn't stop. So um, I, I also think that just high school sports in general has been so focused on one individual sport that guys are mm-hmm. able to play football mm-hmm. all year long, whether it be their football season in the fall, into weight training in the winter or the the late winter, and then doing spring um, or up until training camp starts for their next year of high mm-hmm. school football. So. You know, I was playing basketball. I was going to yeah. say, I, I was going to ask you about that, Cars, because it's really interesting because it's like, how do you feel about, I mean, obviously you can do what you want, but it's like, when I was coming up, it was like, you know, football, then you, you played basketball, then you played baseball. I mean, you know, you, you got yourself involved in other sports and obviously like, you know, in your latter days as a, as a high school kid, eventually you had to, you had to pick one to kind of gravitate towards so you can hone in and lock in on it. But, but do you feel kids should still, you know, be versatile and, and engage in, in different in sports and different sports instead of just focusing on just one? Yeah, I don't like it. I, I don't like it. Um, I, I don't think it's good for kids to, yeah, to be so singularly focused. Well, and speaking of sport. an Orange County USC guy, look at uh, Todd Marinovich. Like, look how that worked out. I don't even know who that is. Yeah. Well, I, I just, it's just kind I, of I don't to that point, that mentality. Oh yeah. Of doing one thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I played basketball. I played baseball. I played soccer. I played golf. I play. I, I, there was no video game. My parents didn't have video games in the house. We didn't have computers. Right. I was outside. Yeah. I grew up outside playing sports all year round. And I loved playing high school basketball. And I, I, um, I think that made me a better football player. It, it you know, working on dribbling, learning a different sport, learning. We're getting too singularly focused on our kids. Being, I, my kid needs to get a scholarship for soccer, and he's going to have four different coaches and two different, you know, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's healthy. I don't think it's good. Um, I think it's good. I, I, my kids are playing every sport. If they want to pick up a tennis racket yeah. or a, a, you know, croquet, a lacrosse stick, whatever. It, the more you can play, the more you can have experiences in different sports and different teams. Their skills. I mean, if I just mm-hmm. did football throughout high school, I wouldn't have picked up some of the skills I picked up. I, I played for yeah. a great high school uh, basketball coach, and our team went on and won CIF and state championships and all kinds of stuff. And I picked up a ton of stuff from those coaches during that season. Mm-hmm. So I just I, I don't agree that you need to singularly focus on one sport at a young age. Did I can't? Did Clay Thompson play for Santa Margarita? Is, was it him? Yeah. 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 So yep. good guy. One, on of, one of our listeners wants to know 
if you can dunk or <laughs> at least used to be able to used to be able to dunk. But I'm looking, I'm looking at says, the chat but, right here. But can you dunk? Yeah, he's like, but can you dunk? <laughs> huh? <laughs> but I used to be able to dunk back in the Okay. So that's a yes. Um, I want to get back to football just, just, just a little bit. Talking about quarterbacks, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about Joe, um, you know, as we kind of get to the, get to the end here the, of, of the show and, uh, and we've talked about Kyler, mm-hmm. uh, you know, somebody, we did, we didn't get too much into two word Justin Herbert just yet, but I'm sure, you know, you're, you're high on those guys as well. Uh, but getting to some of the veteran guys, uh, and, and, and this MVP conversation, which is always a huge conversation every year, uh, you know, it looked like, looked like Russell was certainly the front runner, uh, so far this season. Uh, but looks like, you know, Seattle is taking a little bit of a step back and, uh, perhaps he's, he's not the front runner anymore. You know, in your opinion, um, who is the MVP so far this season and, and, and uh, in making that choice, how do you how do you make that choice? I know everybody kind of has their different you know, their stats and where they go by their team or you know whatever. But who's your who's your midseason MVP and why? That's a good question. I, I still think Russ is the best player in the league, mm-hmm. and I know they're struggling and they can't stop anybody on offense, and and they've couple L's finding a way he just he's you know he's magical he he finds a way to get it done in in these games and as we get into late November and into December I think you're gonna see Russ play his best football and I think he'll end up being MVP somebody said I'm tired of watching Russ have to run for his life every single game (laughs) for 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 a number of years though by the way like you know not even not just this year but yeah, you know, sometimes at, at, and you can speak for this, Carson. You know, sometimes when your when your team, I mean, when you're you're still winning, but your team has holes mm-hmm. and you're struggling, and when you have so much talent, when you're the leader of the team as a quarterback, sometimes you, you get into the space where perhaps you're just trying to do a little bit too much, and uh, it, it it backfires on you. True. Yeah, I mean, that's we were talking about Joe Burrow earlier, and and that's when. One of the things that impresses me is when you're on a really easy to make bad decisions. It's really easy. To, um, and these, some of these young quarterbacks, you see it happen. You see the season fall pressure mounting and you see some decisions they make inside the pocket, outside the pocket that they shouldn't have made and some balls thrown that they shouldn't have. Um, but these veterans and guys like Russ who don't do that. And that's when uh, it, that's COVID. That's just, these teams aren't, firing on all cylinders right now. They will come December because that's when they're going to have had that time on task with those individual players and really start to figure themselves out. Those coaching staffs will have really figured out what their team does well, what their team stinks at. So this is all COVID related. We're seeing, you know, the ups and downs of some of these teams just because they don't have the experience with each other that we've seen them have in the previous seasons because of COVID. Yeah. So then real quick, what's your Super Bowl prediction? I know it's a little bit tough because everyone's in their, you know, same in a weird tier this year. There seems Good to one. really not be a major front runner. Well, I think um, I, I think I think in the AFC we're going to see the Steelers mm-hmm. and the, in the a, Super NFC Bowl? is a crapshoot. Yeah, you got the Steelers beating the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game to go to the Super Bowl. I don't think Chiefs I, I think are as solid Steelers, as last year. I'm worried about the Chiefs. I like I like the Steelers. What? If the Steelers stay healthy, 
Justin Herbert almost beat the Chiefs in his first NFL start. Oh, give me a break. The Chiefs lost to the Raiders. And that, exactly. The Raiders are six and three, arguably. I know, but that's a that's an inflated. That's not a real six and three. Nah, the, right. the Raiders I hope the Chargers is game. not a real two and seven. <laughs> Nine and seven. I, I agree with that, but I I I don't know, man. I, I okay. So I think what that... so what is your prediction? Sorry, who on the NFC side? Oh yeah. Uh, NFC is a crapshoot. I mean, it it could be one of many teams, but I'll 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 go with Seattle. Okay. I think Seattle will find a way to get there. They'll find just enough offense to get past that bad defense. Yeah. Yeah. I agree except for the AFC side. I think I think Seattle finds a way to 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 sneak into that Super Bowl game. Uh but I think, you know, I think the Chiefs, I think the Chiefs go back. You know, I, they, I they're going to see the Steelers in that AFC Championship game, but but I think uh they 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 just have a little bit a little bit more than 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 the Steelers. Yeah, I just I like I like Pittsburgh's defense. If there's one defense that can slow down Kansas City, I mean, you got two pass rushers. You got Bud Dupree. You got T.J. Watt. You got speed at the linebacker position, and then that secondary. I mean, Joe Hayden. People forget yeah. Joe Hayden can flat cover. Joe Hayden can yes. flat play, but you just feel like he he's kind of got forgotten about. He got kind of exiled out of out of Cleveland. Yeah. Um, he's still playing really really good football. You got a, another playmaker in the middle of the field. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, Minka Fitzpatrick yeah, from Alabama. Fitzpatrick. Yep. Um, if there's a defense that can slow down Mahomes and, and the weapons he has, I think it's I think it's Pittsburgh. Especially, yeah. you catch a weird weather game late in December, early January. Good point. Um, you catch some real wild wind and snow or rain or something and it could be in kansas city it could be in in uh in pittsburgh and and i think pittsburgh might be able to get them that's a great point not to mention you know we always hear this comparison about you know pat mahomes you know having andy Reid, who's such a fantastic coach but on the other side of that mike tomlin is just as exceptional uh, if not more of a coach and definitely uh, as we've seen, I wish seen I could wear aviator prepared. glasses as well as Mike Tomlin does. I'm just <laughs> um, he, he's the coolest cat on the sideline every so time cool. he steps on. I mean, he's chilling, right? Everybody <laughs> loves playing for him. He, uh, I mean, again, we're going back. We're talking about the same thing. Organizations. That is a great organization. That organization knows what they're doing, and they've been doing it for decades. They hired back when they hired Mike. Everybody's like, "Who is this guy? He's a special teams coach from Minnesota. Nobody had ever heard of him." He turns out he's been there for probably ten plus years now, fourteen years, something like that. I mean, they they just they seem to have figured out how to run a, a franchise better than just about anybody in the NFL. Um, you know, before the show started, uh, you mentioned the uh, fill the stadium initiative. Want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, fill the stadium is you can you can follow it on fill fill the stadium on Instagram on Twitter fill the stadium dot com online, and it's a part of Compassion International. Compassion International is a foundation that supports uh, disadvantaged kids all over the planet, kids that don't have clothes, that don't have food, that don't have water, that don't have a mom or dad. Mm-hmm. Um, Compassion. Uh, has started an organization where you can log on and and 
my family's done it where you essentially through the website can adopt a child for $38 a month and pay for the child to have clothing, have food, have shelter, have schooling, and also learn about who God is and what the Bible is and what the Bible says. Wow. And COVID hit and all these kids that have been getting adopted through, um, for instance, Hillsong, Hillsong United, Hillsong's a, a, um, a, a group, a, a worship group that travels the country and tours and they teach people on tour stops and find people to give money to Compassion. Well, concerts stopped, so all those kids got lost in the shuffle. Um, Compassion also advertises on Sundays at church, uh, at local community churches where families that are at church can see what Compassion's doing and adopt a child. Well, church services stopped. We weren't allowed to go to church. Um, so there's all these kids that have fallen through the cracks and kids that typically in years, years prior would get adopted and get, get um, families to pay for that, all those things that come up. And all of a sudden, the NFL season started and no, nobody was in stadiums. And now it looks like more stadiums are being shut down to fans. And so the idea came up of fill the stadium. There's, there's a, a 70,000 person stadium mm -hmm. that is sitting empty. And if we can spread the word about compassion, we can fill up that stadium with children that we can adopt. And the concept basically is it costs about 500 bucks uh, for a family of four to go to a game on Sunday, which is a ton of money, parking wow. tickets, Ooh. buying soft pretzels and Cokes Jeez. and hot dogs and all that. Yeah. And because we're, we as football fans aren't spending that $500 on a football game. If you take that $500, you can, you can, that, that $500 can sustain one child that has nothing that lives in extreme poverty for an entire year that $500 can pay for that, that child's food, that child's water, schooling and clothing altar. And so $500, that's what it costs for a family of four essentially to go to an NFL football game on one Saturday. But that $500 can sustain a child that has, like I said, nothing for an entire year. Um, so anyways, it's, it's called fill the stadium. We're trying to fill the stadium and adopt 70,000 kids essentially vir virtually putting them in a seat in that stadium. Um, and we're at uh, 18,000 kids that have been adopted with the wow. fill the stadium initiative. So we're trying to reach 70,000 children. We're trying to find 70,000 um, seats for these kids. And again, it's $500, $500 is a lot of money, but it pays for a child for an entire year that, you know, is in, um, as dire of a situation as you could possibly imagine. And you can go on compassioninternational.com and I did it with my kids. You can go on, you can log on. My kids each picked a child. They, they, my daughters um, picked, uh, they, they sponsored a couple different little girls each, but just off of their names. My two sons wanted to pick uh, certain children to adopt in certain countries. So you can go on, you can, uh, my my oh, kids so write is, letters. They're pen this pals. Is international as well. Oh, it's all over the world. It's all over wow. the world. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, there, there's some kids because of COVID. I, I was just on a Zoom call earlier, mm -hmm. and um, one of the guys that that helps run Ken McKinley had a statement. He said, um, "We went from we went from supporting children that were hungry to now we're trying to support children that are starving to death. These kids are starving to death. There is no food. There is no food banks. 
They don't have money. They don't have parents. They're in the foster system and their countries aren't doing anything to take care of them. So um, what's great about Compassion is Compassion is it's a massive organization. It has a long history um, of success of the money that you donate goes directly to those kids, not 20% goes to the kids and then 80% goes to fund a bunch of different people's payrolls. That money goes to these children. So you can sign up and, and, and sponsor a child for $38 a month. Um, you can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter. You can go to fillthestadium.com and for $500, like I said, you can, you can pay for a child to survive and get through one more year in a dire, dire situation. That's that is so incredible. Um, we'll definitely include the link to that in the episode show notes so you guys can go check it out easily um, because that's something that's so simple for people to do. And I think especially the, you know, the way our country's been going recently, like looking at positive things like that where we can help each other out is just really, really powerful. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I really appreciate you sharing that. Is is there a certain you know, what, what, what kind of made you want to get involved with, with compassion? Is there anything specific? Yeah, I had, I had, um, pre COVID, I had set up a mission trip for my family to go on, to go to Argentina, um, and spend time with these kids in this orphanage, bring my kids, um, and, and share the gospel of God, teach these kids who God is. Um, and just, we didn't even know what we were doing. We were going to go in, we were going to dig a well for some for, so they could have fresh water. We were going to build some houses and then COVID hit and everything stopped obviously. So that, that mission trip got, got canceled. And I had been talking um, with a couple guys that worked for, for compassion, a guy named Ken McKinley and then Steve Stenstrom, who's the head of PAO uh, ex uh, former Stanford football player, quarterback played in the NFL and now is the CEO of, uh, of professional athletes outreach. And I had reached out to him um, about this mission trip. And he had set me up. He's like, my kids have done it. Here's who you need to talk to. Here's what you need to do. It's amazing. It'll change your kids' lives. You're going to change kids' lives on the other end. And then COVID hit. And he and I had been talking. And he's like, man, all these kids aren't going to get adopted. All the, all the revenue generated from uh, you know, pre-COVID now, now that COVID's hit and there aren't these concert venues and there aren't all these avenues for these kids to get adopted, these kids aren't going to get adopted. There's going to be a lot of children that they've been relying on money from Compassion to pay for their, their water, to pay for their food, to pay for their school, their shelter, and it's just stopped just like that. It dried up just because of COVID. And so wow. they had been trying to figure out a way uh, for all these forgotten children to be adopted and came up with the concept of fill the stadium. Wow. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Well, you know, we, we really appreciate your time. You know, thanks for, you know, taking the time out to come on our show. I appreciate all of our listeners and our viewers. You know, I did have, I did have one last question in my back pocket, but, uh, you know, due to time constraints, you know, you got to get going at one o'clock. I really just want to know. I'm always interested in, you know, you, you mentioned you play different sports and I'm always interested in, you know, how did football come, come about to be the number one choice was it always your dream to play in the NFL? You know, uh, if you want to answer that real quick. You yeah. Know, I, I, I always loved it. Um, I mean, I, I, I just gravitated towards it. 
Um, I loved the physical aspect of it. I loved throwing things. I grew up, I, all I used to do is skip rocks. I used to go down to the, uh, the reservoir where I lived in uh-huh. Fresno and just skip rock after rock after rock. So I always loved throwing things. And then I got a football in my hand and, and loved doing that. Um, but I knew I needed to get a scholar. I knew I wanted to go to college and I knew the only way was, was, was getting a scholarship. And so I, I, I'll never forget. I was working out with a, a quarterback uh, at a quarterback camp on a weekend at, at, um, at Saddleback junior college mm-hmm. down the, down the street from where I, where I, I did grew my up. summer school. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I worked out a couple of times and I, and there was a couple guys that were getting scholarships. Um, and I was in seventh or eighth grade and there's a couple guys that I knew one was going to UCLA. One was going, there was a handful of guys. And I, I remember being like, man, I'm better than that guy. And I'm better than that guy. And I'm better than that guy. This is my chance. And so I knew I needed a scholarship to go to college and it, and I loved the sport and I loved to throw, throw things and throw footballs. And that was my, my best opportunity. Um, so I just dove all in. I, I worked as hard as I could and learned as much as I could. And, um, you know, the rest is history from there. Great story. Rob, I All see right, you Christ. got kids. You, I, I see you, you got you got this stuff going yeah, on, huh? Little, yeah, little guy sneaking <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah, I saw What's up? You. What's up, my man? <laughs> what's your name? Carter. That's Carter. Carter, what's Carter. up? Are you going to play football? Are you going to play football when you get older? Sure. Yeah. You want to think about it? All right. No pressure. None. Yeah, not not in this house. Like I said, I don't have football stuff. I love everywhere, that. So there, I think that's no I think that's so healthy. One hundred percent. All right, my man. Well, hey, great catching up with you. Um, you guys can, you know, if you if you missed any of the episode, you can always go to twitch.tv slash Robert J. Turbin to watch a repeat of this episode visually. You'll be able to listen to it on Apple, mm-hmm. um, on uh, Spotify or wherever. You listen to your podcast, um, and also it'll be up on my YouTube channel as well. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Carson, really appreciate you coming on, man, and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks for taking the time. Sounds good. Thanks for uh, – I'm, I'm honored to be the, the first guest of season two, so yes. thank you. Well, we'd love to have you back Not whenever whenever this thing, I guess, wraps up COVID. I don't know. It's not ending <laughs> ever. All right, guys, take right, care. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks so much. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.